special speaker for this week, just a short week, Sunday through Wednesday. It's going to go by quickly, but I know God has some wonderful things for us this week, so I hope you've been praying and your heart's been prepared for today. Evangelist Tom Palmer is going to come and preach to us after we pray, so let's pray, and then he'll come speak during the Sunday school hour. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you for what you have for us from your word. Lord, we need it. And so we gather ourselves together to hear from you uh, and together as a church to learn more of you and about prayer and about how we can commune with you and how we can um, ask of you and receive and and our hearts can be humbled before you. So Lord, teach us, I pray, to pray uh, as Evangelist Palmer comes. Use your word and your spirit in us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, good morning. How many of you have ever met someone from Pennsylvania that you liked? Oh, the hands go down so fast. It's just really, really, really tough. But, uh, you know, it's funny when you come to a place where you've never been before. um, Hey, I guess it is intimidating. You know, you get up to speak and... Folks, I can see the look in your eyes. You're checking me out to see whether you like me or not. But it's only fair that I tell you, uh, I'm checking you out to see if I like you or not. Uh, If we're going to do this for the next few days, we we better get get over that and get down to business. It was kind of cute. I was in uh, Philadelphia last night and a lady sat down there next to me at the airport waiting to, to board the plane and she said, is Detroit your final destination? And I said, well, for tonight it is. Why would someone go to Flushing, Michigan? You know what? I'm curious. I wonder if there's anybody in this room who's ever asked that question. But uh, nonetheless, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, thank the Lord for the opportunity. Uh, I am traveling alone this week, which, to be honest with you, is not typical. Uh, my wife and I are together most of the time in our ministry, but just circumstances with family and and other issues right now necessitated it to be done this way. But uh, we'll get acquainted as the week goes on, and I hope it will be a blessing. Folks, I have, over the years, had the opportunity to visit many, many churches across America, which I greatly have appreciated. But I want to tell you something, and I'm just going to share my heart with you as I begin this morning. One of the great desires of my ministry has always been to be in a church that was known as the praying church. Isn't it interesting that churches always have kind of a trademark, a claim to fame, we might say. It's, It's the thing that we post on our website We print it in our literature. Uh, We paint it on the church sign. This this is the thing that kind of makes us what we are. And by the way, many of those things are wonderful. I've been to churches that were missions-minded churches. And it was obvious. Everything about their facilities and their schedule. The thing bigger than the smiley face on the welcome mat 
was the grin on the usher's face when he greets you at the back door. Everybody's welcome. We're the friendly church. By the way, every church ought to be a friendly church. Uh, for others, it's soul winning. We are a soul winning church. Every event, every activity is focused on bringing people to Christ. And again, it ought to be that way in every church. But I've often thought to myself, what would it be like to be a part of a church whose outstanding characteristic was we are people who know how to connect and communicate with God in prayer. What a marvelous thing that would be. By the way, all those other things would be even better. I can tell you that. Well, a number of years ago, and just, again, God dealing with my own heart and mind, God placed a real passion in my life to call the church back to prayer. And I'm so thrilled that this period of time, these next four days, have been designated as a prayer conference. Yes, we'll teach, we'll preach the Bible, but with an emphasis on prayer, calling God's people to a greater life of prayer. And I hope and pray that will be the case as we meet together. I want to give you six key words this morning right off the bat, okay? This is not my lesson this morning. I've got that. We'll get there in a moment. But I've got six key words that I want to give you that I believe are going to be essential during these four days. If we will be brought back to the prayer ministry, if our prayer life is going to be elevated, here are six key words. You know, we have in front of us the greatest textbook on prayer. I, I have a shelf that wide at home of books on nothing but the subject of prayer. Some of the best authors that have ever written on the subject. But here's still the best. How are we going to handle it? Six words. Number one, analyze. And that just means we ask ourselves, what does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God mean? I, several years ago, did something that was a wonderful blessing to me. I took a brand new Bible. It wasn't a reference Bible, wasn't a study Bible, just simply a plain copy of the Word of God. Took Robert Murray McShane's plan for reading through the Scriptures in a year and for one year read through the entire Bible and marked every verse in that Bible that dealt with the subject of prayer. You know what amazed me? Not every page was marked, but almost every page was marked. So, if we're going to change the way we pray, we've got to analyze. What is God's word saying? Secondly, summarize. Each time we draw a truth from the word of God, we've got to kind of pull it down into a, a main thought. I'm a one-liner guy. I love one-liners. Don't give me a 200-page article. Just give it to me in two sentences or two lines. I got it, okay? And that's what we want to do. Just, just 
pull out the truth so that you have something to write on a three by five card and put on your mirror, put on your dashboard, put on the counter in your kitchen so that for the next week, the next month, every day, that thought is right there. Number three, personalize. This is not just simply a time to give information, though there will be a lot of information given. Lists, outlines, checklists, charts, prayer guides, whatever. We're not just interested in coming away with a nice little file, so to speak, from the prayer conference. We want to personalize it. Which leads to the fourth word, internalize it. Internalize just simply means I program it into my life. Hey folks, the significance of what God wants to do this week is not what God does in the next four days. It's what God does in the next six months. There would be no greater blessing I could experience personally from these days then six months or a year to get a, a message from your pastor that says the prayer meeting in our church has been transformed into the highlight of our weekly calendar. Woohoo! Boy, that would be great. Why? Because we didn't just sit and take notes and listen to sermons and look at a PowerPoint or pick up a piece of material off the table, but we made it work in our lives. Number five, fifth key word, verbalize. One of the things that you're going to find even this week is that we will incorporate prayer into our services. Not just learning about it, but doing it. Uh, even in our regular revival meetings, I, I'm doing a lot less of the traditional come forward invitation and just finishing the preaching of the word of God and saying, now let's go to prayer. It's been amazing what happens as people encounter God in an atmosphere of prayer. So verbalize it. Put it into your prayer. God, here's what you've said. Here's what I need to do. Now will you enable me to do it? Finally, the sixth word, mobilize. In parentheses, you may just want to write the word act. Do something about it. We're going to give you some things in the next four days that you'll be able to use in the next week. Act. Make it happen. You know what, folks? If we'll be willing to do those things, I'm convinced that God's going to have a lot to say. We're going to have a lot to do. And the simple truth is, our prayer ministry, our prayer lives will be changed. And that's what we desire. Could we just bow for a moment and ask the Lord to speak to us? Father, as we begin these several days together, this emphasis on prayer. Lord, it's a topic that we've read about, we've heard about, and we've even done some of it. But Lord, I pray that each one of us, myself included, will allow these days to be a time when our prayer life is revived and refreshed, where the prayer ministry of Trinity Baptist Church is enhanced and developed further. 
God, please do and accomplish your will. Thank you for what you're going to teach us, guide now in the teaching of this word or, or this lesson from the word of God. We'll thank you for what will be accomplished. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to speak to you in Sunday school this morning about levels of praying. Interestingly enough, urgency often creates intensity. And so it is in praying. Now, I would be very quick to say that unfortunately, the church in our day has become rather casual in its approach to prayer. But I want to take you this morning to five examples in the Word of God, each one getting more intense, we might say, based on the earth this morning. Chapter 14, we're going to look at a man by the name of Peter who prayed one of the most incredible prayers recorded in Scripture, but let me tell you, it was a good one. Matthew chapter 14, you may remember this passage because it is the account of Jesus walking on the water to meet his disciples who according to verse 24 were in a ship in the midst of the sea tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. May I just remind you that these were men who were familiar with the sea. Some of these men before they came to be followers of Jesus had made their living on the sea. But they were in a little deeper than they wanted to get, we might say, as a storm breaks loose that basically has put them into a state of panic. Verse 25, in the fourth night of the watch, or, or the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Verse 26, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. It is a spirit they said, and they cried out for fear. Of course, Jesus speaks to them. And then verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, it would have been significant if he just said to Jesus, let me come in the water, and he'd have just bailed over the side and pulled out his best swimming stroke and headed for Jesus. But do you notice the significance of what he said? Let me come on the water. You know, folks, at times, we've been hard on Peter, haven't we? And granted, he was a bit impulsive and a bit impatient and sometimes rather outspoken. But I got news for you. What is about to take place, I've never done. You've never done it. None of us have ever walked on the water unless it was frozen. Verse 29. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You talk about a step of faith. 
Can you see this man as he kicks his leg over the side of the boat and he steps out and he begins to walk on top of the water? Can you imagine? And may I remind you, he wasn't walking across a typical farm pond at this moment. The wind and the waves are still going at it. So we come to verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. I almost would suggest that that's putting it mildly. And beginning to sink, he cried. Folks, in the last part of this verse, we have one of the classic prayers in all of Scripture. Lord, save me. Classic because, number one, he knew who he was praying to. Classic because, number two, he knew who he was praying for. Classic, number three, because he knew what he needed. Lord, save me. You know what I like about this prayer? It was simple. It was short, it was specific, and it was sincere. And might I add, the word sincere could probably be spelled with a capital S. Folks, I have jumped into the water enough times to know that the amount of time from when your feet hit the water till your head goes under, that's not very long. This was no time to recite the Lord's Prayer. This was no time to declare all the attributes that Peter loved about God. He was going down fast. That leads me to the first level of praying, and it's what I call praying in a spontaneous way. Praying in a spontaneous way. It's what we might call a Prayer reaction. It's a response to the need. A couple of years ago, I think it was in the month of December, one of my Amish neighbors was moving to a new farm. He asked me to help him on a Saturday morning. I took my uh, big F-350 dually truck. I went and picked up a 30-foot-long gooseneck flatbed trailer went to his farm, we loaded that thing probably with eight or ten layers of uh, bales, and we were moving them to the new barn where he was going to be moving. I have my friend Sam sitting in the front seat next to me, two young Amish boys in the back seat, they're going to help us unload. We head over to the new property, we start up the lane toward the barn. There was a little bit of snow on the ground. I stopped, clicked into four-wheel, started up. We were doing just fine. The only problem was I didn't realize there was a layer of ice under the snow. And all of a sudden, I felt the dual wheels on the back of that truck begin to spin. And at the same time, that truck and trailer began to slide back down that hill took my hands off the wheel, and out loud, 
I yelled. You say, do you yell at God? I did that morning. I yelled, dear God, no! There was not a thing I could do as that whole rig slid 50 yards back down the side of that mountain. I looked in the left rear view mirror as the trailer started to swing, went down into a ditch, up over a bank, and the whole rig jackknifed into a little pull-off at the bottom of the hill. And I sat there and just trembled and shook, and I looked at my Amish friend. By the way, this is powerful witnessing stuff right here. I looked at my friend and I said, do you know what just happened? Nothing. Nothing. And I said to him and those Amish boys in the back seat, I said, fellas, right here, right now, we have got to talk to God and thank God for a miracle that just saved not only the vehicle, but our lives and damage and who knows what else. Folks, isn't it amazing that one of our very common responses in a time of need is, oh, I wish there was something I could do to help, but, well, the least I can do is pray about it. Really? Folks, that reveals a very low view of God and a very low view of prayer. I did a Bible study one time, and it's actually a wonderful study on short prayers in the Bible. Now, folks, listen, we're going to talk about extended praying. But there are times, folks, when some of the greatest prayers in Scripture are no more than three or four words, three, four, five words. You say, what? Well, how do you know it was a good prayer? Because it got answered. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. God, at that moment, calmed the storm on the sea and calmed the storm in Peter's heart. Spontaneous praying. A prayer reaction. Would it be safe to refer to prayer as a divine 911 call? Sure. It's a response to a need. By the way, if you're taking notes, would you put a little parenthesis that says seconds? It's a prayer that is measured in seconds. But now let's go on and let's look at a second level of praying. And I want you to go with me now to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel, chapter 6, will you please? We've seen prayer in a spontaneous way. Now we're going to see prayer in a scheduled way. Daniel, chapter 6, verse number 10 you may remember that Daniel was being threatened for his prayer life. But verse 10 says this, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees, look at this, three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks 
before his God as he did aforetime. Praying is in a scheduled way means that you or I choose to schedule prayer into our life. By the way, maybe you want to add that little parenthesis that says that scheduled prayer involves minutes and hours. Spontaneous prayer, that was seconds. Scheduled prayer, that's minutes and hours. It's what the psalmist David referenced in Psalm chapter 55 and verse 17 when he said, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Folks, we have become a very time-driven generation. Life is scheduled. And we have appointments at the doctor's office and to get the car serviced and to meet with our supervisor. We have uh, teacher's appointments regarding our students. And folks, the list goes on and on and on. Work schedules, meal schedules, practice schedules. That's life. The only problem is when it comes to our prayer life, do you know what most of us do? We let our prayer life deteriorate to little more than good intentions. And we refuse to make time. We hope we can find time, but we refuse to make time pray. Men like Daniel, men like David knew what it meant to schedule God into their day, to be sure that they didn't miss. Folks, when you have something scheduled, there are other things that get canceled. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you go to lunch today? Oh, I'd love to, but I actually have to drop the car off over lunch for an oil change. Because something's scheduled, something else gets canceled. But isn't it amazing that when it comes to time for God, unfortunately, our God ends up most of the time, at best, getting leftovers. What a shame. What a tragedy. Daniel had three specific times a day when he followed this routine, going to his room, open the windows, getting on his knees, and talking to God. Let's move on. Will you go with me back to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1? The book of Nehemiah, chapter number 1. Spontaneous prayer... That involves seconds. Scheduled prayer, that involves minutes and hours. But now we're going to look at a level that we call praying in a special way. And in parentheses, you may want to mark that this involves days and nights. Nehemiah chapter 1. Marvelous passage on prayer. We don't have time to develop it greatly except to say that Nehemiah has been taken from Jerusalem. We might call him a 
prisoner of war, a captive. And yet his heart is still in a place called Jerusalem and his heart is still for people called the Jews. So we find in verse 2 that Hanani, one of the brethren, came, certain men of Judah, and he says, I asked them concerning the Jews that were escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem, verse 3, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Wow. You talk about a bad report. This one was really bad. The place and the people that Nehemiah loved the most were in big, big trouble. So, how did Nehemiah respond? Oh, I know that at times like this, it's so easy to resort to political means or legislative means or rallying support and, and so on. But look with me, if you will, please, at verse number four. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days. This isn't going to be a three-word effort. This isn't going to be something that just happens three times a day. I wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Folks, can I just give you a little summary of the book of Nehemiah? It's a book of miracles. But how did it come about? It came about because a praying man made a divine connection. I'm not sure how the Lord will lead, but if the Lord so leads, at least one of the evenings this week, I want to direct our attention to praying for our nation. Can I say that some of us have already relaxed since Election Day? About a year ago, here was a man who understood that it would require permission from the king. It would require a tremendous amount of manpower. It would require a lot of planning and preparation. It would require building supplies. But if the city of Jerusalem was going to be rescued, it was going to begin in the place of prayer. And you study through these verses and you discover in chapter 1 that Nehemiah spent days in prayer. Oh, I know it's a cute little song, but sometimes just a little talk with Jesus doesn't make it all right. And we find that Nehemiah now is taking prayer to a much deeper level as he devotes an extended time due to the urgency of the need. By the way, throughout this chapter and these chapters that follow, Nehemiah, 
who was already very comfortable in the presence of the king will speak to the king on numerous occasions. But I find it interesting that before he ever spoke to a king on earth, he always talked to the king in heaven first. Tremendous lesson there. Talk about a truth that you can grab a hold of. There's one of them. Let's move on. Level number four is what I call praying in a sacrificial way. Notice that sacrificial praying does not just involve seconds or minutes and hours or days and nights, but sometimes weeks and months. Go with me quickly to the book of ne- uh, I'm sorry, of Deuteronomy. We know of Moses as the great lawgiver. We mo- know of Moses as the great deliverer. We know of Moses as the great leader. But folks, understand that Moses was an incredible man of prayer who at times even stood between the judgment of God and the people of God and saved them with his praying. Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses is sort of reviewing, we might say, many things about the relationship of God with his people. And we find that a couple of statements appear. Deuteronomy chapter 9, notice with me verse number 18. He's talking about the day when he came down off of the mount carrying the tables of stone. Verse 18, I fell down before the Lord as at the first. He just spent 40 days with God in the mountain. I fell down at the first 40 days and nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins, which ye sinned and doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Notice, if you will, please, verse 25. Thus, I fell down before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights as I fell down at the first because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Verse 26, I prayed therefore unto the Lord. Now, can I say to you by way of explanation that this level of praying, prayer, fasting, 40 days, is not something you just make happen? I'll be honest with you, there was a time in my life where I treated prayer and fasting as something that, to be honest with you, was probably a lot like the Pharisees did it. It was almost, to me, kind of like my little spiritual good luck charm. Maybe if I do this a day a week, it'll gain me a little more favor with God. What a pitiful misunderstanding that is. You know what I discovered? It just made me miserable because I was hungry. I'm just being honest. But I will tell you that there are times in life when burdens get so heavy and battles get so intense that the spiritual needs 
far surpass the physical needs and the significance of the physical need just kind of fades. And I've been there a time or two now. Just praying and fasting because it's a good thing to do didn't help me a whole lot. But it's amazing how when a need is so overwhelming that it's so-called takes your appetite away. The time is non-issue. That's where Moses was. Moses is the classic example of an intercessor. He gets a hold of the need and he gets a hold of God and for 40 days he brings them together in the place of prayer. You know, we Americans, we American Christians struggle with this. You want to know why? Because we can't say no to anything. We've become spiritually spoiled brats. So you talk about giving up something to seek the Lord, and the typical Christian looks at you like, you've got to be kidding. But sacrificial praying allows us to say no to physical matters, to say yes to spiritual matters. Oh, it doesn't have to be 40 days and nights. That's the example we're using from Moses. But do you understand the concept, sacrificial praying? That leads me then to the fifth and final level of praying. And as great as these first four are, and every one of them in their own unique way is a marvelous truth. But the fifth level of praying then is what I love to call praying in a sustained way. And in parentheses, you may want to write, it involves a lifetime. Not seconds, Minutes and hours, days and nights, weeks and months. It's a lifetime. Let me quickly give you one more example. Back to the New Testament, Acts chapter 12. We've, we've heard it said from the book of 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. And some of us have looked at that statement and said, you know, that's cute, that makes a great plaque on the wall, that makes a great bumper sticker to go on the car. What in the world are you talking about? Pray without ceasing? Let me just give you one quick example. Acts chapter 12. Herod has decided to rough up the early church there in Jerusalem. Verse 2, he took James, one of the leaders, killed him. He was murdered. He was martyred. Apparently, he thought his popularity rating went up, so he grabs Peter, puts him in prison. Says, I'll wait till the Jewish holiday is done. I'll bring Peter out, do the same again. By the way, would you agree with me that that represents a crisis? Sure did for this early church. It would for your church. So what were they going to do about it? Oh, I know. Sign petitions. 
call the governor's hotline, have a march, a protest. By the way, those are modern methods, man-made methods. They may have their place, but in all honesty, they're, they're pretty much man-made. Notice verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. What does that teach us? It teaches us that sustained prayer <clears throat> is an ongoing, unending effort that only stops when the answer comes. It's a life of prayer. It's nonstop communication of prayer. Somebody asked Charles Spurgeon one time about his prayer life. Here's what he said. I can't remember the last time I prayed 15 minutes straight. But he said, I can't remember the last time I went 15 minutes without praying. Folks, I'm all about prayer time. And I think every one of us needs it. But you know what? A couple years ago, I was gripped with the concept of a prayer life. Where prayer is just a part of everything we do. Praying in a sustained way. Folks, can I tell you what I believe God really would like to do for each one of us? He'd like to develop our prayer responses. He'd like to develop our daily prayer time. He'd like to develop our prayer efforts so that they're able to deal with urgent needs. He'd like to teach us to pray sacrificially, and he'd like to do all of that so ultimately ours would be a life of prayer. May God help us even in these days, to be good students of the subject of prayer. May God teach us to pray. Father, thank you for these thoughts that we've considered this morning. Use them, I pray, to develop each one of us into the man or woman of prayer that we ought to be and that we need to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.